Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. I am intentionally encouraged when I see people doing business the right way. And for the last 15 years, Damon Burton and his team at SEO National have done just that. Now you might say, Brian, what can they do for me and my business? I'm going to tell you what they can do for you. They can help you understand search engine optimization. There are a lot of players out there in the marketplace, but you want a team of people that are going to be dedicated to working with you and helping you to understand search engine optimization and how you can show up higher on search engines so that you can bring more revenue into your business. Damon and his team are full of integrity, honesty, decency, and trust. And if that's important to you and that encourages you, I would encourage you to give them a call today at 855-736-6285 or go to seonational.com and get a free quote and tell them you heard about it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Get ready for a dynamite conversation coming up right now on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today, part two of this conversation with Magician's Assistant, not like you think. Again, if you heard the first part of this conversation, you heard about not like you think, but we had great conversation there. And again, this part two is just going to be even better. Your skin's new best friend. Um, some of us need a best friend for skincare. <laughs> um, happily married boy, mom, again, boy, dad here, a pizza connoisseur. We dove into a little bit of that dog lover, but again, just a neat person. And I'm so thrilled to be joined for part two of this conversation with Amanda Duesenberg. Amanda, good morning. As we record this, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. You survived part one looking, yes. looking, your skin has <laughs> done very well for, for the first part of this conversation. So again, we, we, I want to go into your story because you've got an interesting story. You've told some of it on LinkedIn and I loved what you said in the first part of our conversation about authenticity. I think that's what people are looking for is authentic, real connecting stories. And again, that's why we do the podcast because there's always connective tissue in the stories of other people. Mm -hmm. So again, go as far back as you want to go, tell what you want to tell. I'll, I'll jump in and, 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 and ask, more questions around that, but just take me through your story. Great, yeah. So um, I'm a theater kid from Chicago. That's sort of the the, the origin story. <laughs> uh, my parents put me in theater when I was five because they wanted to make sure that I felt comfortable public speaking for when I was going to be in speech classes in high school and um, as something that they thought I'd probably do fairly well in. Um, I'm not going to say I was a dramatic child. Um, pretty clear if they put me in drama when I was five, they didn't think I was going to fall on my face, you know? <laughs> so, um, my first theater experience, and this will tell you a little bit about me, um, I was actually in the Wizard of Oz, which was my favorite, still is high up there. Um, as a kid, I was Dorothy from age two to eight every Halloween, like it was a big deal. So I was going to be in Wizard of Oz. It was my first play ever. And I was five. And, you know, every five-year-old thinks they're the star of all the things. So I was going to be Dorothy. Well, no. The 12-year-old got the part of Dorothy. The five-year-old was the um, Glinda's assistant, Belinda. Which, if you're familiar with the story of Wizard of Oz, you know there is not, in fact, a character named Belinda in the story. Yeah. So I was a little, um, you know, 
emotionally offended and like so my parents were this whole big lesson and you know like do the part that you're given and do it to your best ability and all that so I was all ready to go and opening night Glinda who was eight froze she freaked out there was an audience there she panicked so little Amanda who knew the role and also was a little sassy um dramatically moved her to the side stepped in front and played the part of Glinda. <laughs> and after that, I got larger roles, which is good, but we did talk about showboating a little bit also. <laughs> but that's sort of like Amanda as a kid for you. Um, and I learned some tact as I grew, um, but so that that was what I did. And then um, getting older, I was in theater all the way up through, well, I was in some capacity all the way up until I actually stopped teaching five years ago. I was involved in theater in some way. Do you um, feel like it did what you, and your parents thought it would do for you because again i think it's interesting the way you get into it is your parents just wanted to prepare you for public speaking later like well this is going to be good training it's going to give you a leg up so to speak and it sounds to me like it did more than that for you oh totally like i think being able to um relate to characters and kind of think about them while you're playing them is is awesome for developing empathy um working as a team for, for whether you're on stage or you're behind the scenes or both in some capacity, um, the teamwork that goes into it is I think just as valuable as, as it would be in sports. Um, I'm a huge, huge advocate for theater for kids. Well, um, Amanda, here's, here's the thing that I'm thinking about as you're saying that is you hear a lot of folks that do that professionally, you, a lot of professional actors mm -hmm. and they say, well, I've been typecast, you know, um, because we think of um, Matt LeBlanc as Joey. We're right. always going to think of, of, of him as Joey. Yeah. And I heard something one time. I heard John Krasinski talk about Jim Halpert from The Office. Mm -hmm. And and people asked, somebody asked him this, did you ever get tired of it? He said, no. He said, I hope for the rest of my life people refer to me as Jim. He said, I never, you know, people will come up to me and say, Jim Halpert. And he's like, I never get tired of it. Some people are reticent because you talked about being able to relate to the characters that you, you yeah. played in theater. Some people want to totally distance themselves from, from their signature character, so to speak. Right. And some people embrace it with your theater background. Why do you think that is that some are, are reticent and some embrace their, their um, signature characters? I think it probably has to do, um, we talked about this actually in the last episode a little bit, like the purpose of it. Like what, what is, what are you doing when you're performing? You know, what is your goal? And so there's some people who, um, actors who take a lot of, uh, pride and I don't know what the next word would be, but something like that for, for having a diversity of, of ability and being yeah. able to, to play different roles. And if they feel that they have that capability and that they have been sort of typecast into one role that they may be particularly good at, but they feel like they have this ability to do these other things, then I could see how that would totally make you feel held back. You know, same as if in an office setting, if you're like, you know, I'm, I, I'm really good at, you know, sales, but I really feel like I have this marketing part of me that I really want to work on but you're never even given the opportunity because you're so good at sales. Like it's kind of that same kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like if you have a character that you've truly identified with and you really just love the heck out of playing that character um, and it's lucrative for you the way that Jim was for John Krasinski, I mean, like what? go for it, man, <laughs> you know? And if you don't have that like 
drive to be all of these things. Not that there's anything wrong with that. That's just different, different personalities. If you're like, no, I'm, I'm here to make people happy in my performance and to bring this to them and to, and to relate to them. And if, if John Krasinski was excited about the gym thing, because he knows how much people love that character and how much joy it brought people, that might be why he's more like, no, do it, man. I'm happy with that. Well, some people, I love what you're saying there because it makes a lot of sense because some people would say, well, that was a part of my life that's over with, things like that. But if people are talking about that character, they remember it. You don't want people to, you don't want to have a character that's forgettable. Correct. Right? It's like, well, you know, you know, oh, I played so-and-so. Yeah, nobody cares about that. It was, it was horrible. But. This, this yeah. sort of relates to that before I forget. Like it sort of relates, but sort of doesn't at the same time. Um, teaching, you get pulled in a lot of directions. So it's similar to kind of that. That's what I ended up doing was, was being a teacher. I was going to be on, on Broadway was my first goal. And then I figured I needed something a little more reliable. <laughs> um, so I did teaching and teaching kids, which I'm actually super happy that I did that. For a while, I regretted it. But um, to be able to pass on that theater tradition to kids and see it helped me to see how much value it had in my life. And, um, and, and that was awesome. But when you're teaching, there's so many different things that you have to do. I mean, like it really is ridiculous, overwhelming. And, um, you know, this need to kind of like focus on making sure that you've got all these things taken care of. And the phrase well-rounded comes up a lot, you know, and I went to a, um, a teacher's conference and there was a speaker talking about um, balance of, of mental health and wellness and your time and setting boundaries and said, you know, all these people are out here running around talking about being well-rounded. And why would you be well-rounded when you could be sharp? And like, I felt like I got hit by like a brick wall when he said that. He's like, you know, you could sit here and spend so much time running around perfecting all these little things that you think make the portfolio of this person that you should be, could be, whatever. But if you spend time on a few things that you really are suited toward that are um, beneficial to what your goals are and you really hone those, now you're sharp. And which one is going to be more beneficial? beneficial now so there's people who argue and say that they disagree with that no i think that's a great point amanda because here's the thing i think we've we've lost sight of in the in the higher education system is you know i got a marketing degree but i couldn't get that marketing degree until i took science classes why in the world would i want to if i wanted to be a science major i would have been a science major Mm -hmm. we 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 have had this this long stated notion that we think people should be well-rounded when every class, I, to, to me, we could finish, we could graduate students so much faster. If a kid wanted to be an engineering major, we could say, okay, you're going to take three years of engineering classes and you're going to be ready to go. Mm-hmm. Like everything's going to be focused toward that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going to get some writing because you're going to need to write technical bulletins. You're going to need to do presentations. We'll sprinkle that in. But yeah, you don't ask, you don't ask a great pizza chef to cook a Chinese meal. Right. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. Prices are going up by the day. We've got to find ways to increase our household revenue. Now, a couple ways you could do that is, one, you could go and ask your boss for a raise, but if that doesn't work, 
I've got another way for you. It's my friend Joe Hart's program called Products for Profit. Joe's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourage podcast and told his story about how learning retail arbitrage changed his life, and he's been helping thousands of people change theirs. Now, retail arbitrage is simply this. It's taking a product and buying it and then reselling it online for a higher price, and you keep the profits. And guess what? Amazon and Walmart use third-party resellers every day to fulfill their customer orders. I want you to go to productsforprofit.com or productsforprofit.card.co. Get connected to Joe's team. Tell him you heard about it on the Intentional Encourager podcast and start making money today with Products for Profit. And now let's get back to more great conversation on the Intentional Encourager podcast. You know, somebody that's really good at pizza. I I wanted to throw pizza in there, right? I wanted, I wanted to. I appreciated that. (laughs) Yeah, I. I, It's important to introduce, like, at the so so you kind of view education as like a triangle, right? So like down here, when they're when they're younger, it's important to introduce them to all kinds of stuff that they may or may not have been able to to find, right? Because how do you know? Maybe one of those things is something that's going to really spark a flame, right? But you're absolutely right that it should taper up to this special to the specialized thing up here. And if we've got people who are not who are not graduating with their marketing degree because biology isn't their strong suit, that feels like a problem. <laughs> well, and you were talking about being sharp. The point of a pyramid is is sharp, right? Mm-hmm. It's designed to be sharp. I right. love that concept. When you let me let me transition back here for just a minute. We got way off track. <laughs> no, no, no. We that was great. No, that no, I I that I love that. Because again, I love what you said there. Why be well-rounded when you can be sharp? When you thought about, you said just a minute ago, you wanted to go on Broadway, but you mm-hmm. went into teaching. What was that pull like for you? Was there some emotional angst away from theater as a profession into teaching? Or was it the reality of, I, I got to do something that I can make a living at and i don't know that theater is stable enough to make a living yeah honestly i think that that decision was probably more driven by fear than i really would have loved it to be which i think is why i I had some regrets over it for a while um just the fear of like what if you go all the way to new york and you don't make it then what now the answer to that now as 40 version 40 year old version of amanda is then you figure it out then because you have data at that time to figure out what the next step is you don't have to have it all figured out all the different possible scenarios, right? But at the time, 20-something, well, teenage Amanda, um, was very concerned about knowing the path that was going to happen and what and, and all of the, like, if this happens, then I'll do this. If this happens, then I'll do that. And so there were so many unknowns in that whole stepping out um, arena that I, I was like, I don't know. So I was trying to, like, hybrid it a little bit and say, well, like, what if I double majored in education and theater so I could kind of pursue them at the same time? And there were no schools that did that, that were actually via, uh, that were good at, really good at either one. It was the whole like well-rounded thing. So I could have gone to DePaul University and studied educational theater. So I would be like, like a, a drama teacher at a high school, college, whatever. Um, but that felt too specific to me. Like I wanted to have more um, options. And so I ended up going to Concordia University in River Forest, Illinois, uh, which is an excellent teaching college. And they also had a really good theater program that was very, um, uh, they, they had a lot of things going on and it was a lot that you could be involved in. So I knew that I would be able to still do it. Well, here's the thing that I see as a parallel to your life now. You were looking for 
more options and becoming broader based and things like that. And now your life is that you and your husband have businesses that have that broad range where you're able to help a lot of different people mm -hmm. instead of saying, okay, we can only help this many people. Or right. And, and, and so I don't know if you've ever saw that parallel to your life, but that, that, that's a great parallel to how the rest of your life would, would turn out to be. No. And, and up until the last two years or so, I felt like my life was kind of random. Like I had this theater thing that I didn't totally ever really do, but I did. Cause when I was a teacher, I did all the Christmas programs and all the spring programs and the drama clubs um, at the elementary level and um, loved it. Still do love it. Missed that part of teaching probably the most. Um, then I had this teaching background. So I know a lot about child development and I was a primary school teacher. So that's like first, second grade. So I know a lot about that age child. Um, and then, so it's like theater education. I've done a lot of crafting and creating of things. I had a, a jewelry business that I tried briefly until I realized that it was more work to do the marketing than I felt like doing. So I kind of mm -hmm. let that slide. I love to bake. Like, and so it was like this random, like, what the heck? <laughs> But then as things kind of go forward, I'm sort of seeing how it's starting to weave itself together. Like you said, with the joining my husband's business and then we had the virtual show. So there was theater in the background of that. Plus when he shows me new tricks, you know, there's, there's some theater head that gets involved in that as well. Um, we have a son who's five. Um, during the pandemic, everything that was a resource to us for him in terms of music classes and um, child development kind of things we'd be involved in all shut down, except virtually which was awful for him. Like he hated three-year-old virtual trying to talk to my friends. Why aren't they talking to me? Like it was, it was stressful. So all of that teacher training went into helping him to develop the, the skills that, that he was missing by not being involved in those other activities, which had I not been a teacher, I don't know if I would have even known how to even start doing that. So, so all of those things kind of came into play. Then I jumped on LinkedIn at the pandemic, trying to educate more about the magic business and what we do there, saw the importance of storytelling, which tied back to my teaching, which is how I taught basically was telling stories because that's what was the most memorable to the kids. Um, and that just sort of opened this whole like other world, I guess, to me. And um, all of a sudden I had colleagues again on LinkedIn. Like I would stand in the hallway in the morning while the kids came in drinking my coffee, talking to my colleagues, my other teachers about whatever our lives were doing. And now I'm doing that on LinkedIn, except there's no kiddos, you know? Yeah. And so that was a really neat um, side effect that I didn't expect when I joined LinkedIn. You, you mentioned, um, you mentioned in the, in, in part one, stepping away from teaching because you're, you, you wanting to do that. Your son was small. Mm hmm and your husband having a need in his business in his magic business for a virtual assistant. Did you ever feel a sense? And, and I don't think I asked you this in the first part, but, but I, I, it feels right to ask it here. Did you ever feel an inadequacy about that? Because it's like, you know, you're the control person. Like, it's like, okay, these kids are going to listen to me. Mm -hmm. And now you're the one doing all the listening. You're the one gathering the information, you know, in teaching you're transmitting information. Mm -hmm. You know, I haven't been a Sunday school teacher for a number of years. You're transmitting information. You just got to do it in to your point in a creative way. And I would do that. I would, I would use a lot of object lessons mm -hmm. and I would have people help me in object lessons and things like that. 
because I found that kids would, to your point, remember, you know, like what your husband Mike does, remember that thing. But was it difficult for you to transition into transmitting the information to now gathering the information? Do you know, it wasn't as challenging as you would think. And that was part of what um, led to me saying that that chapter was, was sort of done. Um, I thought I was an extroverted person given my background, right? And I do love that. I love to perform, but I loved being behind the scenes more, turned out. Um, I loved to teach and I still do like the, the skincare part of my headline. We'll talk about later, but um, the teaching component of that has filled up some, some empty parts that were, that were there after I stopped teaching. But I love, love listening to people and helping them sort out their stuff. Uh, I probably missed my calling in some sort of therapy at something or other, but like when I am the person who is, like you said, receiving and asking questions to help people kind of figure out where they, where they fit and then they go off and do like, that is so, so rewarding to me. And see, here's the thing I would say to that is, is, you know, you just said you were, you thought you were an extroverted person. Mm -hmm. And I asked you in the first part, I'm like, okay, you know, has, you know, are you, you're not the traditional, you know, I was like, has Mike ever saw you and have, you're like, no, you would think because those type of people that are magicians assistants come from a theater background or a dance background. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you think, you know, what you just said there is really telling and it's really enlightening. And I appreciate how you crafted that because the natural inclination would be, well, Amanda, if you come from that background, then why not? You know, why, why, you know, even doing virtual shows, why not incorporate something like that or, or something? It, it's fascinating to me. Where did that switch kind of flip for you in thinking you were, you were an extroverted person, but I'm getting the sense and, and I hope I'm not assuming incorrectly that you were like, I'm not what I thought I was. I'm not, where did that switch come from in your mind and how did that transpire? The last five, five years sort of feel like the space in between. Like if I ever were to write a memoir, I suppose that would be the chapter or the title of that part. Um, when you're teaching and I was teaching for, um, for private schools. And so there's a different kind of vibe that comes from that of like who 100%. you're supposed to be, you know? 100%. And so when you're in school, this is who you're supposed to be. And when you're on stage, this is who you're supposed to be. This is your character. When you're teaching, there's a character there too. Like you are Mrs. Duesberg. You're not so much Amanda Duesberg. You're the teacher of this class. And then there's these, there's these layers of what you're supposed to be. And so I spent a lot of my life prior to about five years ago, being who I was supposed to be. And there were things I, I loved from that, drew from it for sure. Uh, but I was tired. I was burnt. And I thought it was because the um, the decision to have to have children and then have, being pregnant while teaching, like I, I taught all the way up until the day that I gave birth. <laughs> so I thought, oh, tired. Of course you're tired. You're pregnant. You're teaching. You know, it's a big, busy job. Um, and then when I took some time away from that and realized it was like, it wasn't that I wasn't being me, but I was being more who I was supposed to be than who I really was. And having theater background, it was actually fairly easy to do that. Um, but when I started to look me like, what is it that I really loved about that job and that life and that thing? Um, and what is it that I love about this job? It started to like, what I really loved about teaching was 
working with the kids one-on-one and helping the kids who felt socially awkward figure out how to be themselves, but in a, in a appropriate way, you know, like, you know, yeah. just start drumming all over the thing. But if you love drums, like, let's talk about how we can do that and how we can showcase that and incorporate it. You know, I, I loved that part. And even in high school, when I was all like in the shows and stuff, when I was not, when I didn't make it into a show um, from auditioning, I would do costumes and makeup and, and things like that. And I loved it. Like, it was just so cool to be like, get everybody ready. And there they go. And like the pride and getting them ready and having them. So there's parallels to teaching that were there, which is why I, I liked it. Um, but I realized how much of that was not exactly who I was. Um, and I've read a bunch of books and things and, um, and, and I believe in what Mike does so much and just the way that he connects people together. And it kind of vibes with that same similar kind well, of thing, you know, forgive me for jumping in here, but, but yeah. here's what here's, and I love where we're going with this conversation because it speaks back to what we were talking about in part one, the authenticity mm-hmm. piece, right? So, you know, for, for ladies, so to speak, and, and I, I'll use this as an example, you know, what you see of this power person, things like that, you know, and their, their power suit and stilettos and just, you know, look at, you know, just exuding this, this power persona, but then at home, it's like, oh no, it's, you know, bare feet sitting, you know, sitting, drinking a cup of coffee, you know, being not at all. And it, and to your point, it's, it's a role. It's the, the, the definition of when I'm here, I'm in this role and this is where I'm supposed to be. And this is how I'm supposed to do it. But when I'm in this role, and I think sometimes the, the, the relentless pursuit of being authentic can come across as we're almost getting to that line of inauthenticity. Mm -hmm. I hope I'm making sense there, but you really are pulling out some, some beautiful conversation that I think is really important. How were you able to break out of the role definition? Cause you just mentioned when I was a teacher, I felt like I had to do this mm-hmm. when I was doing theater, I had to do this mm-hmm. and, and especially teaching in private school. And you're right. My son went to a Christian school for four years of high school. Mm-hmm. So I understand, you know, when, when I said hundred percent, you're exactly right. Yeah. You know, you're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to toe the straight and narrow, so to speak. Right. How did you kind of break away from that or, or better yet, let you, you know, how did you not box yourself in to say, I am this person inside of this role instead of becoming who you ultimately became? I hope I, I, forgive me for the long-winded question. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. You know dreams are powerful pieces of intentional encouragement. We all have them. If you're a business owner, you've probably always dreamed of taking your sales to levels you've never seen before. I've got a guy that can help you with that. His name is Brad Norwood. My good buddy Brad has been on the Intentional Encourager podcast as a guest before, and he is a dream specialist. His company, Dream It Pro, offers incentive packages to travel to places such as the Masters, 
Kentucky Derby, the Super Bowl, even exotic places that you've always wanted to take your team, but you just didn't know how to do it. Brad's your guy. And oh, by the way, Brad's a certified bucket list coach, so he can help your team members achieve their personal dreams as well. I want you to go to www.dreamitpro.com and find out more or call him directly at 479-466-6907. And by the way, tell him you heard it on the Intentional Encourage podcast. Let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourage podcast. No, I think so. So I'll start answering and then you tell me if I'm if I'm on the right track from what you were asking. Uh, honestly, I don't know that I am fully broken of that. I do know that the reason why I'm able to see it now is because I basically like hard stopped everything about my life when my son was born. And then everything since then is totally new creation. And it wasn't intentional, but it's sort of what happened. So I have not been in, in a classroom since the day that I gave birth. Well, no, that's not true. I came back for the last two days of the school year because of how it worked out with maternity leave, but that was, it was different. Um, so, so I haven't had to take this realization back into the classroom. If I did, that would be a challenge. Um, what if, when, you know, um, my role with Mike's business started when uh, my son was born. So that was totally, and, and it was sort of a messy thing because it's like, it's my wife, it's my partner, it's my, you know, we're working together. Yeah. So it sort of had to organically grow its its own thing. Um, and so there really was no, and because I was behind the scenes, I didn't have to put on a hat to showboat to anybody else, you know? So, so honestly, I really haven't, like I spent a lot of time in a cocoon, I guess, being home with my son, being behind the scenes um, until the pandemic hit and I jumped on LinkedIn. And that was a learning experience because when I came in there, it was like, here's me, an ex-teacher, stay-at-home mom, sort of pseudo-business partner, and talking to CEOs and salespeople. Like, I didn't feel like I totally belonged there, but I thought, well, desperate times, right? <laughs> so, right. So, and then realizing that, like, like, I could talk about things the way that I talk about things regularly, and, and it actually resonated with people. So that kind of gave me permission to explore a little bit more with that whole concept, like what we were talking about, like, who is, what am I really doing? What, what really matters to me? Um, and so I kind of built that through talking to people on LinkedIn. And then, um, when I turned 40, I was realizing how much I was not really taking care of myself since I was home most of the time and the pandemic hit. So, you know, there's all the pandemic pounds and all that. And, it's like, all right, no, I, this needs to change. And so one of those things was skincare. And I went on this pursuit for skincare, ended up finding Mary Kay. Um, and that actually was the first time that I stepped out as a person in a career again, it felt like. Um, because with Mike, again, it's behind, it's more behind the scenes. I'm talking to him, but I'm not really talking client facing. But we were talking about how once my son went to kindergarten, I was going to start being more client facing with the connections on LinkedIn and with calling people. And so when Mary Kay kind of fell in at the same time, and it was like, you know, this is an opportunity to start something that could be some extra income, but it's definitely practice marketing and sales and showing up again. Do you find that hard? I, I got to ask you this, Amanda. Yeah. Do you find it hard to balance the time commitments that you have being the magician's assistant behind the scenes mm -hmm. and trying to grow and run your own business? Because... You know, the, the, and, and forgive me, if I'm assuming here incorrectly, forgive me. One would say, well, Amanda, 
your primary role should be to help support your family because your husband, Mike, is doing these corporate events and things like mm -hmm. that. And, and I, I can sense the excitement and, and you can see the excitement in your post when you talk about helping other people mm -hmm. with, with the skincare business that you have. Mm -hmm. Has it been challenging for you to find that balance to where you can have your own fulfillment, helping your own clients, but still help your husband do what he needs to do in helping his clients? So yes, yes and no. It's been a great example of, of setting boundaries, which was something I was terrible at teaching. There's no boundaries. You just do what you had to do, you know? Well, you just create the boundaries in the classroom, yeah. right? Well, for the kids, yes. But for the professional role, no. So within the classroom day, there were set boundaries. There were set rules. There were set who's allowed to do what, who's expected to do what between the teacher-student relationship. But when it comes to the teacher-administration relationship or the teacher-school relationship, a lot of teachers struggle with it, but I definitely did. It was like, you stay until it's done. And so I was very keen and aware of how your business or work can take time away from your personal life in a negative way while teaching. So I, I was worried about that because I'm, I'm predominantly a stay-at-home mom. That's my first job is whatever my son needs, like he, he drinks first. So if he needs to get picked up from school because he's sick, whatever else was happening, that's off the schedule automatically. Um, and then my second thing is Mike's business because that's where I started first and so that's I mean and that's my primary role in fact Mary Kay is here to help me learn some skills to help me there wow. and to provide us with like a side gig kind of thing yeah. um, and so it's been valuable too but like I had to come into it and be like okay like I have to make sure I know what my priorities are here and how much time I'm willing to invest and not get caught up in the whole like you know quit your day job and become a trillionaire and all this stuff which is possible but it's possible to do that in a set period of time with boundaries on it, just as much as it is to do it for 24-7. In fact, it's more possible to do that with a boundary set, this is what I do every day, than it is to burn yourself out, you know? So I spent, I've been doing it about six months now, and I spent the first probably three months trying to figure out what it was that I was going to do to make sure that I had a steady stream of, of prospects that I was visible to people who could be coming in as, as um, whatever, just, you know, whatever, coming to me rather than me coming to them. And a system for bringing them in and, and scaling them and figuring out like, so like a funnel basically. And then it was like, once I have that, it's just a matter of how many people go in the funnel in order to get this outcome, right? And when you can figure that out, then you can go like, all right, I can scale it down if I need to, I can scale it up if I need to. And so um, I basically learned that from listening to Mike talk about all the different things he was well, doing for his own, you know. You remember the song, The Gambler. It, it's, it's, and I say this all the time to people, it, it is having the ability, as the song, The Gambler says, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away and know when to run. Right. And, and it sounds to me like you, you learned that. I got to ask you in the last few minutes, that we have remaining. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, walk me through the biggest challenge you've ever faced in your life and how you overcame that. So the one that comes to mind first, and I'm not sure if this is the biggest challenge, but it came to mind. So when I was in high school, I was in a really terrible car accident. A friend of mine, um, I probably ought not to have even been driving with, to be honest, um, missed our turn 
and decided to make it last minute. And we got hit by a moving truck on my side, passenger side, right behind um, where I was sitting. And my leg was broken all the way through in three places. They thought I broke my pelvis, but turned out it didn't, which I still think is a God thing because it showed up clear as a crack on that first scan. And then it was gone. And it like that, it wasn't like, maybe it was like legit. And then it wasn't. So I don't, whatever people believe to me, yeah. that was, that, that was, that was a crazy thing. So the reason that was such a challenge was like, I was a senior in high school. So that was in January of my senior year. I was in theater. I was, I had worked my way through that program. We had moved right before high school. So I didn't have like the street cred that <laughs> some of the other kids did coming in from eighth grade. And so I had to prove myself in the theater program there. And I was, I was positioned in a way I was in show choir. I was in um, concert choir. I, I had done all these plays. I was positioned in a way that I was going to be able to like be in this, the musical in the spring in a, in probably a, a large role. And I was like psyched and, you know, your senior year, last semester. And then I was in, I, I, I missed three months of school just because I couldn't go. Like I was that messed up. And then once I was back, I was in a wheelchair because I couldn't do the crutches all day because of, of just injuries, other injuries I sustained too. And um, it was hard because it's like all these things that I planned weren't going to happen. And so I was still in show choir and they like made jokes with me in the wheelchair and like we would do dances and I was in the wheelchair. So I was still there, you know, and, and people knew the story and it was my senior year. And so all this stuff, but I didn't get off of, I didn't get the, the cast off or have authority to be off crutches for any period of time until the day before senior prom. Wow. And so that whole time was basically like, life doesn't always come out the way it's going to come out. I mean, like, what do you think it's going to come out, you know? And, um, I had so much frustration and, um, but it, but it ended and it came out of it, you know, and I still have scars and I still have like pain in that leg every time it rains. And I, I can't run as an exercise cause it's too much pounding on, I have a rod and screws in my leg. I mean, it was a big deal. Um, but it still ended like, like that didn't last forever, you know? And, um, I feel like I can look back at that and go like, even when it sucked the hardest that I it was just like, nothing is going to come out of this. That's good. It still passes, you know? And, and it really is largely your attitude that decides whether you're going to come out of it with something good or not. And I had a terrible attitude for the beginning of it. Um, but once I started to, to do what I could with what I had, things started happening better. What is, and I asked this question in every podcast episode, so I'm going to ask it again as we mm -hmm. wrap up our conversation. Share with me and your audience, and this audience rather, your biggest piece of intentional encouragement. Um, I think it kind of springs off what we just said. Um, you know, everything passes, the good stuff and the bad stuff. And so it really is more about being in the moment of what you're, what you're dealing with right now, whether it's good or bad and, and doing what you can with it. Um, I think the, the more that we make our plans for the future and decide how it's got to go in order to be successful and good and all that. And the less we spend being mindful right now, um, the more opportunities we miss, but then the, the, the less satisfied we are with life. I mean, if you even look back, like there's times during the pandemic where it really looked like, like we were never going back to the way it was going to be. 
like the, the, this world has ended as we know it. Like we are going to be home and it's going to be virtual for the rest of our lives. And like you and I are talking virtually right now, but I don't know about you. I went to the grocery store. I was not wearing a mask. <laughs> there were big concert events. Yeah. You know, there were barbecues. People went to like, and there was a time when it seemed like there was no way that was going to happen. And yet it did. Mm -hmm. So just because your brain is telling you something is never going to happen, there's no possible way. It doesn't mean it's not going to. But it's not going to if you don't focus on what you can do right now to connect with the people who are with you, right? Build those relationships. And then also just what can you do today that's going to get you closer to what you hope to be tomorrow? I love that. That is you so know? good. Yeah, everything nothing comes to stay it comes to pass and so yeah. tell folks besides linkedin and we'll, we'll link mm -hmm. that in the in the show notes and things like that tell folks where they can find you on social media besides linkedin so i'm actually just on linkedin and facebook um and that's part of being intentional um i tried to be on instagram for a while and i was spending so much time curating content for platforms that i wasn't able to authentically connect with the people I was running into on that because of what you said like I do have limited time because I have all these little boxes you know and I'm not going to take time away from playing with my son in the backyard so that I can answer a post on Instagram you know yeah but I do want to be able to do that in the places where I am because there's there's extreme value there so you can only find me on LinkedIn and, and Facebook and predominantly LinkedIn um Facebook is a little more of my personal family stuff, but yeah. if, if you're there, find me there. Cause I'm happy to, I'm happy to connect. Um, so those places and then, um, yeah, that's basically it. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Go to, go to LinkedIn, Amanda B. Duesberg, D-U-S-E-B-E-R-G. Amanda, this has been so much fun. Thank you for joining me on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Thank you so much. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.